Good morning. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. And as he said, we uh, just finished our December campaign to launch our capital campaign for the uh, properties next door and uh, wanted to update you guys on how it, how it finished. So uh, December 31st, uh, about 6 p.m., Janai, one of our staff members, uh, sent out a text and said, hey, we, we just crossed uh, 90%, which was thrilling. Um, could not have been more encouraged. Uh, and then in the last six hours uh, of 2017, something happened. You procrastinators uh, <laughs> uh, came through, and we ended up with $320,000, $320,300. So... It, thank you guys uh, for your generosity and your commitment conviction to what we are doing. Um, and I want to tell you what's next because that was the start of the capital campaign, not the end of the capital campaign. Uh, over the next couple of months, uh, myself, uh, Andrew, our executive director, and a few of our other uh, pastors and staff members and leaders are going to be coming uh, to all of our parishes talking about two-year um, pledges. All right? Let's talk Samuel. Uh, as he said, we began uh, Samuel back in December, and we're going to be in the books of First and Second Samuel through uh, almost right up uh, to Easter. Samuel is part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the, the Bible that comes before Jesus. And at the beginning of the story, at the beginning of uh, Samuel, uh, Israel, the, the people that the Old Testament really centers on, uh, they were asking for a king. They, they were saying, hey, we want a king, but not not any king. Like we want a king like the nations. We want a king that will go out and fight battles and win for us. And so God gave them what they wanted. They gave them a man named Saul, but it didn't go well. And now we hit chapter 17. Saul is in decline and God is raising up a new king named David. And today we hit a pretty famous story, a fairly well-known story, the story of David and Goliath. It's a story about David taking down a giant with a slingshot. It's the ultimate underdog story, so for all you Baylor fans out there, there's hope. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no hope. Um, here's how we tend to read the story, right? If, if, if he can take down a giant with a slingshot, so can I. And so we look at our life and we go, I've got a giant over here, Debt, I've got a giant amount of debt, and I'm going to take it down, man. I'm going to take it down. Or um, maybe more, I don't know, I, I'm just crippled with anxiety. And my anxiety feels like I'm fighting a giant with a slingshot. Just gripped with it. But is that what the story of David and Goliath is really about? Is it about a slingshot and a giant? See, sometimes the, the, key, uh, the key to understanding a story isn't, uh, isn't just what's said, but what's unsaid. Right? What's, what's missing can be as important as what's present. Let me um, give you an example, illustrate it. I'm stealing this from a TV show from the late 90s, early aughts. Some of y'all are going to get it. Imagine with me uh, you're dating somebody. You're three months in, four months in, and it's, I mean, it's, it's ramping up, right? Uh, and it's, it's time. And you, and you walk her to the door. You're standing out front of her apartment. And you look at her and say, you know, I, 
I know we've only been dating three or four months, but I, I love you. And she looks back at you in the eyes and says, thank you, and walks inside. <laughs> right, what's, what's unsaid is as important as what's said. All right, what's missing can be as important as what's present. And here's the, here's the point. The author of Samuel, the author of Samuel goes to great length, not just to say what David did, but what he didn't do or what he didn't use. And I think that that's where the real story is. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, let's immerse ourselves in the story and let what David didn't do just emerge. And as it emerges, I think here's what we're going to find. In the end, I think we're going to find a very practical, very helpful application from this story. So let's go verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sokah, which belongs to Judah, and the camp between Sokah and Ezekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. Let me, let me pause real quick. The Philistines, they, these were the, the, the primary adversary of the day for Israel. The, these were the ones that they were up against, and they were technologically advanced as uh, a people. In verse 3, And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, or about nine foot nine. So here's what we got to do. You, you want to you understand the story. We, we can't read the story like it's a legal brief. We've got to read it like it's a play. So in your mind, you've got to be able to visualize it. So the Philistines are coming out, and they're up on a mountain. They're standing out over, and across the way on another mountain is Israel, and they're up and out, and there's a valley in between. And this giant, this nine-foot, nine-inch giant, steps forward. And they describe him as a champion. Let me, let me tell you what that is. Um, that, that was somebody that, went, that, that the country would put forward, uh, and then the other country would put somebody forward, and then they would battle. And whoever survives, whoever lives, that country wins. And their victory would become our victory, or their defeat would be our defeat. And so the Philistine comes forward, and it says in verse 5 that he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. So this right here, this is just describing his, his armor. And what's, what's armor? Right? It's not a complicated question, right? It's, it's protection, Right, it's a way to, to keep myself safe in battle. And so I wear it, and I'm protected. I take it off, and I'm vulnerable. But here's where the story really starts to get interesting. Because for ancient literature, there's an extreme amount of detail given uh, to the kind of armor that Goliath was wearing. And it's not just the amount of detail that is rare, but the kind of detail that was given. Let me... Let me Quote, let me read you a commentator on this. 
This is, this is, I think this is the turn where the story just starts to really get interesting. Goliath's armor is given unusually detailed attention. In verse 5, it says that the Philistine giant was wearing scale armor. And the Hebrew word simply means scales. This sort of armor is attested throughout the ancient Near East, but the fact that he is described as wearing scales indicates what was in the author's mind. And these scales are like the scales of a serpent. So why scales? Why scales like a serpent? What's in the author's mind? We're going to hang on to that, and we're going to come back to it. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. This is what I was talking about a minute ago. The champion, they come out. um, One would come out. We fight. Winner take all. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In verse 11, then Saul. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So Goliath comes forward and says, give me somebody to fight. Bring somebody out here to do battle with me. And Saul and all Israel dismayed and afraid. Now, obviously, obviously, nine foot nine dude wearing armor is going to be scary. Like if any of you are nine foot nine, if you are, stand up right now. Uh, But if any of you are nine foot nine and you stood up and you're like, Brandon, parking lot now, I'm going to say no. Like, no, I lose that battle. I'm going to, no. But here's the thing. Fear for Israel, this was nothing new. It, it wasn't simply, he's nine foot nine, our biggest guy is five seven, this is a problem. If we were to roll back in time and ask, hey, why, why did they so desperately want a king like the nations? You know the answer? Fear. Fear of what's going to happen to us if we don't have a king like the nations. Fear that we're not going to be secure as a people if we don't have a king like the nations who's going to go out and fight battles for us. It wasn't simply that he was nine foot nine. Obviously, that's frightening. But this was a new manifestation of the same problem. This was not a new problem for the people of Israel. It was simply a new symptom, same problem. And if we put ourselves in their shoes, if we put ourselves in their shoes, when they're looking out at this giant, thinking God won't deliver us from this, and fear is their reaction, it, it's probably helpful to remember uh, that they had all the evidence, all the evidence they could have needed to know that God can and will deliver them. Right? So the Exodus, the Exodus was right in their rearview mirror. The Exodus was where um, uh, Israel was in captivity in Egypt. And God, through ten plagues and parting a Red Sea, deliver them out of the Exodus. Deliver them out of captivity. This was right in their rearview mirror. It would have been like us, because uh, this is only a few hundred years after that. This would have been like us thinking about the Great Depression. Right? None of us experienced it, but, but we all know all about it. We, re, we, we, we re, remember it. It's right there in our rearview mirror. 
They had all the evidence that God could deliver. Here's where I think the fear really comes in for Israel. It wasn't the issue of can God deliver, but would he? Would he? Like I can look back at the past and see where God delivered us there, but would he do it again today? Is he today for us? Is he for me? Is he for us today? I, I know what he did then, but would he do it today? I think that is the undercurrent question that sits beneath the fear of would God deliver. And so here's what we have. We have a giant wearing scaled armor, scales like a serpent, inviting someone to come and do battle. All of Israel is afraid. All of Israel except one. And if I could paraphrase the middle part of chapter 17, David says, I'll go. I'll go. I'll do it. Send me. This is where we pick it up in verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was at his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So Saul takes his own armor, and he places it on David. And every commentator I found had some refrain of this. This is a picture of Saul trying to dress David like Goliath. It was a representation of Saul being like the kings of the nations who would go out and fight like kings of the nations. David takes the armor off, and here emerging is the first thing David doesn't do. He doesn't wear armor. He doesn't wear armor. He doesn't wear protection. And on the surface, um, it's just too heavy, but is that all there is to it? Let's keep reading. Verse 41 and the Philistines moved forward and came near David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to the youth, or said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And a Philistine cursed David by his gods. Which, by the way, I, I think if, if we could give Goliath some slack here, uh, if you're nine foot nine uh, and you've got a unprotected kid with sticks running at you, I think this is a reasonable response. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
and at all this assembly, all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, but he and he will give you into our hand. Here, here is the fundamental difference in David and Saul and the rest of Israel. It can be summed up in four words. You ready? The Lord will deliver. The Lord will deliver. The Lord will deliver. Israel, we need a king like the nations to deliver us. David, David, the battle is the Lord's and he will deliver us, which is why in the face of Goliath, he wasn't consumed with fear like the rest of Israel. And in verse 48, when the Philistine arose <coughs> and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine and put his hand into his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stank uh, stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. So David grabs a sling and a stone, runs to the Philistine, fires it, it hits him in the forehead, sinks in, he falls and dies. And this could have been, this could have been where the author finished. This is where he could have left off. He could have just stopped right here. The, the giant is down. David is victorious. This could have been where the author finished this part of the story. But is it? No. No. And if what David did is what the thesis of the story is, then what comes next is pretty insignificant. But if it's what he didn't do, then let's read. It says, there was no sword in the hand of David. Listen to me. No armor, no sword, defeats an enemy, scaly enemy, with the scales of a serpent, with a blow to the head. Sound like anyone? Sound like anyone that the Bible might be about. Here's what the Bible is about. The eternal champion, champion of champions, who took off his armor, who left the safety and protection of his father with whom there was no greater protection. There was no greater army, armor, who came and crossed the battle line and became vulnerable and on the way to the cross, said to a man named Peter, put down your sword. Put down your sword, Peter. Peter, put it down. The Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. Put it down, Peter. Who went to the cross, died, and was resurrected. And in his resurrection, his victory became our victory. As he crushed the head of a serpent. His victory became our victory. And do you know why Jesus took his armor off? So that you and I could put it on. The point of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in the strength of his might. What's, what's that? It's battle language. It's battle language. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, David and Goliath isn't about you having Goliath that you're going to take on and conquer. It's about Jesus conquering the one Goliath you and I can't do anything about. That's what it's about. That's why he had scales. David pointing to Jesus, Goliath, to the serpent. You know what the armor is? It would take a whole other sermon to really go into detail in Ephesians 6, what the armor of God is, but I'll say it like this. It's all that we have in Christ. It's what we have in Christ. It's what's offered on the table. And this is where, this is where the sermon, this is where the text, I think it's really practical, right? Because if we can lift it up into the heavens, we can see how David and Goliath points to Jesus and Satan. This is where it gets practical because if the, if the story of David and Goliath is about your Goliaths, like the Goliath that you've got out that you're going to take down and conquer. Let me tell you, this story is not encouraging to me. It's demoralizing. It's demoralizing. Because how many of us in this room would go, man, I've had Goliaths, willpower, baby, I took them out. Like, not a, uh, if it's about Goliaths that I'm going to conquer, it's demoralizing to me because I don't have a lot of Goliaths in my life that I can look at and go, man, I just took it down, baby. You want to you ask an addict gripped in the heat of addiction how willpower is working out for them? How just take down a Goliath is working down for them? All right, some of us in this room, we have spent years, male and female, just in the grip of pornography. Just hooked. I mean, if there's ever been a nine-foot Goliath in your life, this is it. How is willpower working out for you? Or, or wait till the day when you get the call and cancer is your turn. It's your turn. You think you can just willpower that out of your life? It's a Goliath I'm going to take down. But if, if the story is about Jesus overcoming the one Goliath that we can't do anything about, then you know, you know what happens? All of a sudden, the story becomes about how you and I don't have to live like the people of Israel. We don't have to live in constant fear, gripped, paralyzed with fear. It means that we, we don't have to live in fear of death because Jesus was resurrected from the grave and we have eternal life with him. It means we don't have to fear financial insecurity with Christ. You know what we have? We have the one thing that we can't live without. It means that we don't have to fear being alone forever. That in Christ you have the one who died to eternally have your heart. Like if your marriage falling apart, marriage is on the rock, single, haven't been on a date in years, you don't have to fear being alone. You don't have to feel shame over being lonely, but you don't have to fear being alone. Because in Christ you have the one who died to eternally have your heart. He says, I'm, what I see in you is beautiful. What I see in you is respectable. 
We don't have to fear being insignificant that Christ has clothed us with his divine significance. We don't have to fear the next election or the last election. We have a king who's reigning over all kings. Here's one for me. I just turned 40 on Friday. It's not exciting. Calm down. We don't have to fear getting old because with Christ in Christ, our best days are always eternally ahead of us. That's what the story of David and Goliath is about. The David to come whose victory would be our victory. Though you and I didn't lift a stone to accomplish it. Who in coming from heaven to earth took off his armor so that you and I could put it on so that we don't have to live in the fear that Israel did. And we might know what it's like for our soul to have the safety and security that comes with Christ. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in your beautiful and divine providence that you would record a story about the victorious David, picturing the victorious David to come. May we rest and know that his victory is our victory. His resurrected life is our resurrected life. And for uh, those in the room right now who are just saying, yeah, but it feels like I've got nine Goliaths and nothing is being done about them. I pray they would learn to let you fight their battles and to trust you with them. In Christ's name, amen.